Welcome to Couple of Criminals. My name is Mariah. And my name is Anton. And we are your average couple reviewing your not-so-average crimes. This episode is number 11 of a 50-part series that we are doing where the episodes are based on a different crime in each state in the United States in alphabetical order. So today's case will be based on a crime in Hawaii. Before I jump into the case that I've chosen, Anton is going to give us his joke of the day. Take it away. All right, Mariah. Did you hear about the painter that was hospitalized? No, I did not. The doctor said that it was because of too many strokes. That's a good one. Like paint strokes. Yes, paint yeah, strokes. Yeah, very nice. That's a good one. Okay, as mentioned above, today's case is based on a crime in Hawaii. Anton and I have never been to Hawaii, but we plan to travel there soon, possibly someday. When I saw that I was assigned to Hawaii, I honestly thought I would have a hard time finding any crimes because, honestly, how would anyone want to commit such horrific crimes while they're in paradise? But I was proven incorrect very quickly. A quick fun fact for you regarding violent crimes in Hawaii is that in 2022, for every 1,000 people, only 2.5 violent crimes happened. And that is significantly lower than the national rate, which is for every 1,000 people, 4.0 violent crimes happened. So that is a significant difference. Significantly lower, yes. Yeah. Hawaii is also ranked the fifth safest state in the United States. So even though there are a handful of violent crimes there, it is still a very safe state to live in. And it only costs you a whopping $8 for a beautiful gallon of whole milk. (laughs) Yeah. How about the, did you see what the top four were? No, I didn't, but I should. In our next episode, you can include that. You can choose, include the top four safest states. So Anton. I am thinking it is time to pack our bags and get a move on. We don't even drink milk anyway, so I think we'd fit right in in Hawaii. I think so, too. The beach, the waves. I know. The sun. The legs, the virgin pina coladas. So today's case I will be discussing began in early 1991. A man by the name of Orlando Ganal lost his job at Young Laundry due to an at-work injury that took place. He supposedly injured his back. In addition, because of this injury that happened on the job, he would normally be entitled to workers' compensation, which is ultimately pretty much payment that is paid out when a worker files a claim against an employer when they're injured on the job. But unfortunately, Orlando was having a really hard time getting his workers' compensation. Oftentimes in life, we always wonder why bad things happen in what seems like a domino effect. And for Orlando, it seemed exactly like that what was happening to him in life right now. At around the same time of his work injury and at the same time being out of work, his wife Mabel began having an affair with a man by the name of David Touche. He was a co-worker of hers at her job that she worked part-time at. The marriage ultimately because of this was pretty much on a downhill slope very quickly. Orlando had his suspicions of his wife, and because he had so much free time on his hands due to his work injury, he was ultimately able to do his own personal investigation on his wife that resulted in him confirming his suspicions. She was, in fact, having an affair. Orlando knew who the affair was with and would contact the man named David, and on occasions in the calls, he would be cordial and friendly. Then, as the calls continued to happen, they turned sour. He threatened him, his family, and his life, and this frightened David. David Touche had moved from the mainland, and when he first moved to Hawaii, he lived with his brother's family. David's brother is Michael, and Michael lived with his wife and his two young children in a home in Kailua. 
At around this time that these hate calls were going to David, the marriage of Orlando and Mabel was at an all-time low, and she ended up moving out of their home together and moved into her parents' home in Waipahu. So ultimately, the home that Orlando and Mabel shared was also in Waipahu, but in a separate neighborhood. So Orlando and Mabel had a son. His name was Orlando Jr., but he went by June June, so that's what I'm going to refer to him by. June June at the time was 13 years old and ended up staying with Orlando in their home, and Mabel went to live with her parents. So their son stayed with stayed the father. With the father, yeah. Months passed, and they had a setup to where Mabel would pick up June June, and they ultimately like split custody and time with their son. But on August 24th, this pickup did not go as smoothly as it usually did. As many couples do who are going through a divorce or separation, there were fights and there were heated arguments. So on this Saturday, August 24th, like any other day, a heated argument began between the two. Orlando wanted Mabel to move back in with him and he tried to convince her by holding a gun and demanding it. I would not recommend that tactic. I don't think that would work at all. Yeah. Mabel refused, of course. She refused these demands, and when this happened, Orlando then pointed the gun at himself and threatened to kill himself if she didn't move back in. Again, another tactic that probably doesn't work either. Yeah, and a little bit on that. So I have watched the British show on Netflix called My Lover, My Killer, and this is very much a tactic used by a toxic and abusive partner or spouse. They use self-harm and suicide to guilt trip their victim into doing what they ask, and we see in these cases that it works. And individuals stay with their partner due to the fear of them doing something to themselves, as well as the fear of them doing something to them if they leave. So it's like this fear to stay and a fear to leave, and it's just a really sad situation all around. But nonetheless, this tactic that Orlando was trying to pull on Mabel did not work. And she was able to talk through it with Orlando and told him to put the gun down, which is great. That's, yeah, very good news. Now remember, Mabel was coming to pick up their son, so June June, the 13-year-old, is still in the home while this altercation is going on. Mabel, in dire need, yells for June June to come and help her, and when she does this, Orlando threatens then to kill them both. And this threat, and Mabel telling him there is a gun, causes June June to run out of the house. With him out of the house, they continue to bicker back and forth until it finally subsides. And they go outside to search for their son, but to no avail, they are unable to find him at all. He he ran out he into the neighborhood and he's just gone. And honestly, I don't blame him. I don't think I would want to come back to that situation either. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. Mabel, with no luck of finding their son, needs to leave Orlando's. And a neighbor ends up taking Mabel back to her parents' house in Waipahu, which ultimately is just... Like in a neighborhood. neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. But Mabel calls later to Orlando that night and the next day to see if their son had returned home and he still had it. Both times she called. It is now the next day, August 25th, and their son is still not home. And as anyone can imagine, the parents are worried. Thankfully, by 7 p.m. that night, the girlfriend of June June pulled into Mabel's parents' driveway and dropped him off. Now, I don't know why, but once he was dropped off safe and sound at the parents' home of Mabel, Mabel then tells him he needs to go to his father's and that he should call him to get a ride. Once Junjun calls Orlando, they begin to argue and the conversation ends abruptly. Mabel then calls Orlando back to apologize on behalf of their son regarding what he said, which I was not able to find exactly what was said between the son and the father, but we can probably assume it was a warranted argument given the circumstances of the previous evening involving a gun and, you know, the feud between the parents. And isn't he only 13? Yeah. And he has a girlfriend. 
Yes. Interesting. Yeah, good for him. Once Mabel has Orlando on the phone and she is apologizing on behalf of their son, he begins to yell at her, saying she is pinning their own son against him and continues to cuss at her. Obviously, that conversation ended, and by the time that call ended, June June had decided to stay with Mabel and her parents. The evening ended with the four of them eating dinner, watching TV, and then all heading to bed. I can only imagine that none of them really slept well given the circumstances with Orlando who at the time was their father, husband, and son-in-law. But at the same time, it seems like this can't be out of the blue, so maybe they did sleep peacefully because maybe this was just a, a frequent yeah, just occurrence. Kind of another occurrence. Yeah. Anton, you are aware, and so are our listeners, of the podcast we run here, so you know it doesn't just end there. No, this of is where, not, yeah. Yeah, this is where things usually take a turn. It never ends so peacefully with dinner, TV, and sleep. There always has to be an escalation. And, the next step. And that is exactly what happens. Later that night, on August 25th, as Mabel slept on the couch in the living room of her parents' house, she heard an intruder forcing open the front door to get into the house, and as soon as she heard the noise, she looked up and a gun was pointed right at her, and the next thing she knows, she is being shot on the side of her head. She is still alive and conscious and is able to get off the couch and crawls towards her brother's room and then her father's room, but both of the doors to their rooms are locked. She has no idea who this intruder is. She is hurrying to get help, but in doing this, she's unable to identify who has shot her and who is actively beating her. Because as you know, he's still right there as she's crawling to yeah, get help. Yeah, of course, and, she's not just going to let her crawl away. Yeah, so as she's crawling to you know, get to these other rooms, whoever this intruder is, is kicking and punching her fiercely. The commotion from the attack and the intruder wakes Mabel's father, who ends up coming out of his bedroom and tries to stop who is ever conducting this attack. But before he can make any headway in stopping whoever is doing this, he is shot. June June is now awake due to the attack and the noise from the intruder. He was sleeping on the floor next to the television in the living room as well. He quickly awoke to his mom yelling his name, and when he opened his eyes, he was quickly able to identify the intruder, conveniently because of the back deck porch light that was on and was shining perfectly on the person. And who he saw made the whole situation a hundred times worse. It was his own father attacking his own mother. Orlando Ganal was in a rage, and his fury didn't appear to be stopping. With Mabel shot, her father shot, Orlando's rage then spreads to his sons, and he shoots his own 13-year-old son in the mouth. Thankfully, this is not a fatal shot, and Junjun is able to get away from his murderous father and outside to a neighbor's home. As I briefly mentioned earlier, Mabel's brother, Diego, was also living in the home with his wife and young child, and they were asleep in his bedroom that was locked. But they were quickly awakened when they heard the sounds of gunshots and his sister screaming from the living room. Like any father would do, he feared for the safety of his wife and child and quickly kicked out the window in the room and all three of them crouched outside in silence. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Diego, though, could hear heavy pounding on his door and then he heard the deep moans coming from his father in the home's hallway. Diego, because of this, then climbed back inside the bedroom to check his family who were inside the home. The scene Diego comes upon is heartbreaking. Diego walked through his room and found his mother bent over on the sofa dead. His father was sliding down the stairway covered in blood, but was still alive and was moaning deeply. Unfortunately, Diego's father would end up dying due to the injuries that resulted from the gunshot wounds he took. His parents had both been taken in an instant. 
So Junjun and Mabel are both alive and were able to escape, obviously for the most part, the gunfire and rage from their father and husband. With Junjun and Mabel being gone, Orlando knew that authorities could be called and arrived at the home as soon as possible. So if he was going to continue to act on his desires, then he needed to leave now. And that is what he did. He left, and his next target was his wife's lover's house, the Touches. He drove about 25 miles to Michael Touche's home where he lived with his wife and two kids and previously had his brother David living there as well. And notice that word, previously. So later that night on August 25th, the Touche family were all getting ready for bed when the phone rang. Michael answers the phone and says hello a handful of times, but no one responds on the other line. It is just eerily silent. Although this call was odd, it wasn't anything to be alarmed by. We all know in today's day and age that we receive scam and fraud calls all the time. But oftentimes, in our cases, they always start talking right away. You can't even say hello before they're, you know, rambling off in their robotic tones. So this is in 1991, though, so it was totally different. I bet like a, a blank call, could you could just assume it was a false dial. Yeah, most likely. So for the family, this bizarre call wasn't anything to know. So now that the family is asleep in their main room, it was officially bedtime. But bedtime did not last long because Michael's wife, Wendy, was quickly awakened to the sound of her screaming husband being completely engulfed in flames. Michael is yelling at her saying, he was here, he is here, he was here. Wendy then responds in confusion saying, what? And he says, Orlando, and then yells, get out. Quickly after Michael is yelling this at her, Wendy then becomes engulfed in flames as well and tries to get to the bathroom in order to get access to water. But the fire was way too hot. With Michael and Wendy both on fire and struggling to get out of the house that is now ultimately all in flames. All on fire, yeah. Yeah. They run to their front door that is locked from the outside in. So then, frantic, Wendy scrambles to the kitchen door and somehow gets out. Sources vary, but she was either pulled out of the house or she got out herself. So if she was pulled out, that would induce that enforcement officers were already there or law enforcement officers were already there, but I couldn't confirm that. Interesting that their house was a lock on the outside on the front door. Yeah, I'll I'll explain it. When firefighters and law enforcement arrived, the scene was horrific. Wendy had external burns that burned over 40% of her body and had severe scarring over most of her face. As you must be wondering, where are the children? Unfortunately, the two children who at the time were two years old and 10 months old both passed away due to thermal burns and smoke inhalation. Michael, the father, was also severely burned, and although alive when enforcement officers got there, he eventually passed away due to the injuries caused from the fire. So, burning and smoke inhalation. When Orlando left the home in Waipahu and headed to the home of the Touches, he knew David, his wife's seemingly lover, had lived there at one point or another, and his rage took him to make that attack. He blocked the outer doors in order for them not to be open from the inside, and then he broke several windows, and then through the window he takes gallons of gas and douses the interior rooms of the home with it, and then sets the house ablaze. And the person he was presumably targeting... David no longer even lived there. So within a matter of a couple hours, four people had died and later Michael would make it the fifth person to die. But it was four people in one night. And that then, is just so sad. Yeah. Being burned to death too, that is awful. I can't even imagine, especially the two children. It just, it breaks my heart. If murder and arson weren't enough, Orlando had one place left to go, 
his old employer. After starting the fire at the Touche's home, he heads to his old employer, Young Laundry, and enters the property and brings with him gas and matches. He ends up dousing the whole second floor office with gasoline and lights it on fire. Thankfully, no one dies in this fire, but thousands and thousands of dollars of damage happened. There are people who are in the building because Young Laundry, I guess, operated 24 hours a day. So there were people on site. But and no one saw him come into the building then? I guess. Or even, you know, with two whole, like, or I guess gallons of gas. Yeah, and maybe he knew that going late at night there would be minimal fatalities. And so he could still, like, point, like, make his point, you know, that he had been wronged. But there are people who are in the building when the fire is lit, like I mentioned, but they're able to escape and no fatalities occur. So if his intent was to, you know, kill someone, then he, he wasn't successful, but he was successful in causing a lot of damage to his old employer. Orlando Ganahl testified that after he had the conversation with Junjun and Mabel on August 25th, it snapped something in him and he blacked out the whole night during all the events. He ended up coming to in his truck later in the morning and was sweating a ton and ended up stripping down to his underwear and ran into the ocean. He then claims that he saw people stealing his clothes where he left him on the beach and when he tried to run after them, he somehow like poked something into his foot while he was running. Police officers at the three separate scenes were quickly able to put two and two together and Ganahl was swiftly followed by two officers who confirmed his truck and license plate and apprehended him at his home. The two officers who were arresting him were scared for the safety and ordered him to face down on the ground and he refused. So then they approached him and Ganahl was kicking, yelling, and swinging his arms. The officers were ultimately able to pull his feet out from beneath him and were able to successfully cuff him. Ganahl was in his underwear upon arrest and claimed he had an injury on his foot. Knew what this man had just done and the horrific things he had accomplished, and all he could talk about was how his foot hurt. Orlando Ganahl was found guilty of first-degree murder and many other charges, and was later sentenced to life in prison. And that is the crimes of Orlando Ganahl. He was only sentenced to life in prison, not sentenced to death? I don't think Hawaii has the death penalty. The death penalty was, I think, still around. In 1991, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but I'm he, not sure. Yeah, it, it might have been different in Hawaii, but that's just interesting that it was it was life instead of death. But again, it could have been that there was no yeah. death penalty in Hawaii. Yeah. The one thing that is a huge point in this case that I want to mention is that a lot of the blame for Orlando's actions ended up being like scapegoated onto his wife. Supposedly, when she was having the affair with David, she boasted about it to Orlando. She talked about it in great detail about how much better he was in more than ways than one. And you can put two and two together as to what she's talking about. But she later admitted to this, saying that she did say these things to egg him on and it infuriated him. And so a lot of the family of her lovers, like her, the man, David and her, his family, they went on to file a lawsuit because of this. And ultimately Orlando is the one to blame. He conducted the actions. He's definitely the one to blame. But Mabel has admitted to, you know, doing things that were probably 
not for the best. Yeah, not for the best and also maybe pushed him towards doing these actions a little bit more. But it all comes down to Orlando actually physically doing these actions. Yeah, yeah. You and know, Killing f- five people, that's, that's a lot in one night. Yeah. And the thing is, too, is to me, he claims that he blacked out. And obviously, we, we don't know. People claim that they black out all the time. And it could be true. It couldn't. But my gosh, it seemed premeditated. That's a lot of gas you have to have. Like he, he put two buildings on fire, a home and then an office building. Like that is premeditated to me. And again, even if he did black out, it's still not, I think, a very valid excuse for, you know, I don't remember any of this. Yeah. Or I don't, I guess I don't remember doing any of this, but. Yeah. They were, you know, the nice thing is, is they were quickly able to connect the first scene and the second scene to each other because he dropped shell casings and they matched. So what happens is he got a little bit sloppy and he left shell casings at the first scene where his in-laws lived and then shell casings fell out of the truck at the scene of the arson. And so then they were really quickly able to identify it. So, you know, it's such a great thing that they were able to get closure that although like many lives were lost in this they were able to get the man that did it and he very fast too from what it sounds like yeah and he he's serving life thank you for listening to couple of criminals please download like share with your friends and family and subscribe we look forward to you being back here next week where anton will be reviewing a crime from the good old potato state of idaho this is your couple of criminals signing off